Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey everybody, this is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio in Southern Wisconsin. And um, I don't have all of my lights in from Amazon, so I kind of got this going on over here. A little bit of a shadow, a little bit of a phantom of the opera effect going on here. But thank you so much for spending part of your Thursday night down here with me in the North Star Recording Studio. It is actually... Not too bad, 66 degrees down here at the moment, and uh, it's nice outside. Yeah, at least uh, 65, sunny. It's going to be 70 tomorrow. I'll be out biking. Day after that, it's going to be 73. I think we finally put winter behind us. So, um, Juan, um, just if you can give me, um, a, let me know if I'm coming through okay on audio. I had to do some different meetings today, and... Um, I need to switch around my audio a little bit to the headset. So whenever I switch it back to this, I'm not quite sure. Everything's working, but hopefully it is. So today, it is April 30th, 2020. Uh, again, thank you for being here. Um, a little bit of housekeeping here at the start, as always. What's going on down here in my studio? Um, first, it smells like Chinese food. I don't have that quite figured out. But uh, I have three screens in front of me. So... The one in front of me is me. This is me live right now. Hey, thanks, uh, best. Awesome. Sounds great. Audio is great. Thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah, in front of me is me, right? Over to the left are my show notes on another monitor. Over to the right is an open web browser. So just so we kind of have that laid out. So you see me looking around like, who the hell is Doc looking at? Is it like a ghost down there? It's like Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans? No, it's not that. Although it could be. Who knows, right? But I don't think it is. Um, I'm going to monitor the chat. So, uh, Juan, Mictibits, thanks for, thanks for being here. Uh, you know, as always, I'm going to uh, give some uh, feedback, answer questions as we get into this show tonight. So it's a great one. It's really, this is developing. What I'm going to share tonight, you're going to start seeing this appear in the news. Your local news, uh, we'll start covering this in about a week or two because schools, the, I don't I don't think they're going to open in fall. I'm going to give a reason for that, like K-12. I think, you know, secondary probably will, post-secondary will. But I have a strong suspicion that K-12 isn't going to open. And I want to lay that out because it's not just because of the, the virus. There's some other factors at work here. Just, to, again, I've had a number of phone calls, people around the country, and I'm just like, I, I get a feeling people are starting to plan contingencies for what if school doesn't open in fall. And then we get into some big paradigm shifts, right? And are we getting away from brick and mortar schools? How about Rick and Morty schools? I don't know. Um, I am on Twitter at SafetyPhD. So let me put this down here. Um, so, PhD, there we go. Cotton, PhD. All right, hey, Bull Rush. Yes. Borush, welcome. Welcome from the great state of Texas. Um, so yeah, that's my uh, Twitter handle at SafetyPhD. Appreciate it if you can do a follow. 
um, up at 2,525 followers, uh, which is pretty good. Like it, it started this, you know, four years ago. Um, also, if you can follow this channel, if you're not already following the channel, if you can go up and, and follow the channel, do a thumbs up on the show. I would appreciate that too. Share it with your friends. This is episode 132, believe it or not. So yeah, 132 episodes. I always release in video, in audio, and then do a blog post. A couple of terrific episodes, you know, to listen to. One is uh, podcast 78. I interviewed John Steele. Talked about escaping Seattle, for God's sakes. Cameron Sanchez is in the chat. Cameron, welcome. Um, but yeah, John Steele. That was, that was a terrific show. And here we go for podcast 133, recording Sunday night. Although this is going to be recorded and then produced and then probably released on Monday. It is our good friend, Chuck Max, so we have to do this right now. Just hang on. All right, Return of the Mac. Yeah. All right, enough with that. So yeah, our friend Chuck Mack is returning to the show. So Chuck Mack is uh, from Pittsburgh, and he's going to give us the insight on working from the IT side of uh, COVID, working with a hospital. And uh, he's got some really crazy stuff to share. Like, you know, he's being, he was issued papers so he could uh, go places. And if he was stopped by police, he could show these saying, yes, I'm an essential employee. And it's pretty crazy stuff. And, and Chuck's like, everything's on the table for Sunday night. Because I said, is there any of this stuff you want to kind of keep close to the vest and not share? And he's like, nope, willing to willing to share everything. So either that could be a great episode and also the end of Chuck's career. I don't think it will happen. But uh, but yeah, that one I need to record um, and do a little editing on because uh, we're going to use some new new stuff with that. But um, so anyway, thanks again, um, Cameron. Yeah, getting a little bit of crackling in your audio. Hey, tell you what. How's that now, buddy? I turned the gain up just a little bit. Audio coming through okay? The return of the Mac thing, I was just playing that over a speaker, just as a homage to Chuck Mac returning to the show. Are we all good? All right, so we have uh, my book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. Not that you have to run out and buy it or anything like that, but it's a good book, hardcover, uh, 30 bucks on Amazon, I don't know, 15 on Kindle or whatever it is. Now, by publisher laid off everybody. Like, I didn't know this. I have 450 employees. So I sent them an email about something. And then, you know, I got this like response back of, yeah, we're not in the office right now. So then I got like another response saying, yeah, we're all, we've all been gone since March 24th. So that kind of sucks. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't have anything going on with them right now. So that's not bad, but, uh, but yeah, Atham, Atham in the house. Dun, 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 dun. Welcome Atham. All right. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, so we got Chuck Mack coming on the show on, on Sunday. That'll be episode one thirty three, and uh, got a good lineup. Bacon Baldito is going to be on the show in about a week, also. Um, so just got a good lineup. Face validity. What's happening here? Social distancing. I can you know definitely observe it everywhere I go. Right? Every, you probably see it too. You walk into a store. You're walking down the road. People immediately calibrate to their distance, you know, like 10 feet from you, if not more. And they only get so close. Like if you need to talk to somebody, they only get so close. 
So I've seen a lot of that. I was out today, great weather, just terrific weather. A lot of people outside. Um, the county next to us, the county one over, right? The county one over, they're offering drive through coronavirus testing, COVID-19 testing. So this is only what, April 30th that they started that? So <laughs> nice, but uh, you have to make an appointment and then you show up at the site and uh, which I think is their their landfill. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but it, you know, it must have this process to drive in. So they showed some of it today on the news, but you know, I'm looking at this, so kind of like a face validity thing. So they're starting to do this testing, but really, again, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the testing? I mean, if we if we don't know if antibodies protect you, if there's immunity from antibodies or not, we don't know that, right? We don't know. We hear about people getting reinfected with COVID-19 or that something stays dormant in their body for a while. And then suddenly, you know, another uh, two, three weeks passes and, and they get ill. Or what is it like chickenpox? We get it as a kid and then you can get shingles as an adult with chickenpox. So there's a lot of stuff like, so what do you find out? Do you find out, yes, you've had it or you have it or you don't have it. But if you don't have it, you could get it at any time. Like you could have left there and went to a store and, you know, caught it there because somebody sneezed on the canned beans or something like that. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm just trying to figure this out. Is this, is this to put people at ease? Although I don't see people real tense about this. Is it, I don't see it as a way to get people back to work. They're not using that. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I don't quite get that. But anyway, I would expect it in my county uh, soon that we'll have the drive-through testing, and it's free apparently. It, but again, you have to call ahead and they give you a number. But um, hey, the Mallory Report, Jim Mallard from Pennsylvania, welcome to the show. Atham wrote, "All my summer classes are online only. Uh, they say f maybe fall be online only as well." So Atham, yeah, yeah, that's, and I'm going to touch on that today. Um, I don't teach. Well, actually, I typically. I do teach in the summer at the university level, I'm not teaching this summer. Um, but yeah, I've been hearing everything is in summer around here is going to online. And again, I think a, a lot of schools, K-12, are going to be online in fall. I'll tell you why I think that is for in just a moment here. Some anecdotes. All right. I uh, Well, so much for this. I had overlays in Camtasia, which I was going to use. Just wait a second here. All right. I'm going to try to to use them now. So hang with me. Like I don't need, I don't want to see the, the everybody drop out here. So here's, here's one. Look at this. All right. That's just for you guys. All right. I'm going to stay over here when I do it this time. I'm going to stay away. Stay away. It's, you can't stay away from it, right? It goes all over the place. But uh, I did some overlays here. And uh, so here's the, here's the first one. Hey, what? Subscribe to this channel. All right. So that's the first one, as you guys can see up there. And then I've got a couple others here I'm going to start. So, but it's kind of weird because Camtasia is really like the bottom uh, easiest software to use. It's also very limited. So I can only do like five overlays, which is ridiculous, right? Like, how could you not have more overlays in a program? But yeah, so subscribe to the channel, hit thumbs up and all of that stuff. So we'll get rid of that right here. I've got a couple others. So one is we're going to hit school funding right there so you can see how schools are funded. We'll get into that a little bit later so we can clear that up. Uh, the psychology of school safety, what's happening right now, what's gonna be driving a lot of these decisions. Uh, Politico, they have an article, came out yesterday in Politico, teachers union, the, the head of the teachers union said, scream bloody murder if schools reopen without proper, proper safety measures. I don't wanna get into that because I mean, that is going to be 
a big factor in how schools or if schools open. And then also we've got we've got some things in play here. These are called constructs or constructs are basically themes, right? So these are the things that schools have to grapple with if they're going to open in fall or spring or open again. And we're gonna go through these. And these are things that you're not hearing really on the news right now. So I'm gonna get out of that. Um, so yeah, coronavirus overlay. Yeah, on my end, Atham, that was a big deal to, to get that set up. So I hope you guys liked it. Um, Bullrush wrote, I went to my local CVS drive through testing and tried to order a hamburger and <laughs> if I could. Wow. I don't know. How did that go? How did how did that how did that go for you? Oh my goodness, it's crazy stuff. So um I heard a fan paid Tom Brady eight hundred thousand dollars for an all-in experience, right? So this actually happened. So the fan gets to hang out with Brady for a day, gets to participate like in a workout with him and stuff like that. Eight hundred eight hundred thousand. So we had a garage sale. Here's a little st story. It's a fun one, right? Um, and my hair hasn't been cut in uh, is in two months. So it's I only did a little bit on the sides, but it's really, it's long. And it's pretty good. I figure I'm 48 and I've, I've got this and it's still mostly black. Um, I'm, I should I should let it grow out. Like it probably didn't make a lot of sense to cut it down um, before. Like I should, I should keep this going as long as I can. But anyway... So Tom Brady, someone pays $800,000 to hang out with him for a day. I got it. So we had a garage sale about, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And I had a number of these summer basketball trophies, right? And uh, I don't know what in the hell here. Hey, Bacon Maldito! Welcome. Bacon Maldito also going to be on the show here about a week. So we had a garage sale. Had these summer basketball trophies, a summer league that I played in. So the trophies had a wooden base and then a dude playing basketball on top. They're pretty nice trophies, but I'm like, I don't need them anymore. I got like one kept up there. Um, so like I put them in the garage sale. I don't know, a couple bucks a piece. They're nice trophies. This guy buys them. He buys all of my trophies, right? And I'm not at home. Like it was, it was my wife doing the sales. This guy buys the trophies. He said, I'll buy them on the condition that... Um, that I sign them, right? And I'm like, come on, you're playing in, this is Craig Yankers, right? Why do I have to sign these? Like, I'm, <laughs> this is me, like, this is summer league basketball. So the guy comes back and uh, has the money, buys the trophies, and I come upstairs with, with a marker, come upstairs with a marker, and I sign these the wooden base of these trophies in front of the guy. And he wants them signed like on the top, not like underneath. I'm like, you you do know who I am, like right, and who I'm not. I mean, I'm not Michael Jordan. Sign your trophy here, but I signed. He bought like every one. There were like six of them. He bought all the trophies. I signed them in pen or in marker. I signed them in marker, and he took off. So I don't know. It's one of the craziest things ever happened to me. One of the any guy was thrilled. He was thrilled. Yeah, sign my name and date these trophies. I don't know. It was crazy. It's crazy. Just crazy guys. I don't know. Bacon Malditos. Bad bacon. Bacon Malditos. Good evening. Ah, Sass Too Many. Welcome, Sass Too Many. Seeing a lot of the masculine geek gang show up for this one. An awesome show on Wednesday night. I'm trying to establish a time. I think Thursday nights might be the night here for the Safety Doc podcast. I shared earlier, I ordered more lights from Amazon about, you know, two months ago, and they still haven't showed up. So I'm going to be better lit, and I also have a green screen coming in. So it's going to be better. It'll be good. Um, so we have, we're going to see 10 to 20 
8% cuts in K-12 education coming out. We've already seen some post-secondary uh, cuts that have been announced, post-secondary institutions. And we're going to go through that. That would manifest in about 500,000 teachers at least being laid off nationwide for this fall, 500,000 teachers, um, not including aides, cooks, bus drivers, custodians, and all of that. So the article I'm going to talk about right now is uh, I'm going to go back here to my overlays, this Politico article. So this is um, a Politico article from April 29, 2020 by Nicole Gadiano and uh, John, John Hendel and Leah Nylon. And the title is Teachers Union Scream. Bloody murder if schools reopen without proper safety measures. And basically, this is the okay. So the two big uh, school or teachers unions are the American Federation of Teachers (AFT) at NEA National Educators Association. So they're big, represent um, across the nation the majority of the the teachers. So they're coming out and saying, "Hey, we want these certain conditions in place for schools to open. And if they're not, you know, we're we're kind of like striking. We're going to get parents on our side to, you know, tell the school boards, put these things in place or our teachers aren't going to come back. It's not going to be safe for teachers or kids. And we know that we have, you know, issues, customer perceived value, um, some other things at play that, that really start to drive these. So I think this is going to be huge and people aren't talking about this, but suddenly the Overton window, we talked about it last time, the Overton window, which is uh, how policy gets influenced. Um, the Overton window, it shifted with the coronavirus, right? Like now, if you were to say, we're going to track your cell phone, a lot of people would be okay with that. Now, people over in the chat room, you guys, you're probably like, no, that's a bad, a bad idea, right? You're not going to do that. Um, it's just crazy. But but yeah, I mean, Terrence Pop, hey, you're over with Pop. I've been following Pop stuff. I really like how he's done the whiteboard outlines lately of uh, the coronavirus and breaking that down. Uh, he's, he's really been doing a great job with that. Sass too many wrote. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just all right. It's just all right. So um, I'm just looking over here in the, in the chat. So so anyway, the power players in, in this in what happens in schools. So one is the AFT, American Federation of Teachers. That's Randy Wine Garrett. And uh, NEA is President Lily Escalin Garcia. And then major companies that insure schools. So schools have insurance companies, right? So if something happens with the school and they have liability, the insurance company steps in. Um, so people forget about that, but schools have to pay a lot every year to their insurers for different things, different um, you know negligence that, that could happen or, or just something unforeseen that happens. You know, a, a light falls from a ceiling and hits a kid. Now the kid is paralyzed or something like that. I mean, school insurers. So school insurance companies are looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, like we want things in place before you come back in fall. School that we are insuring, if we're going to keep insuring you, you need to put these things in place. So they're really forcing the hands of the districts. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that I've been hearing from districts across the country, which is pretty wild stuff. We already know, you know, school safety, when I wrote about it in School of Air, is $3 billion a year for the school safety industry. We're going to have that type of industry develop in the next couple months, but it's going to be all around antivirus, anti-germ, antimicrobial stuff. Like that is going to be wild. I mean, it's going to be billions of dollars which are going to be spent on that stuff. So um, 
anyway, so we talked about the major players, the, the, the school teachers, unions, uh, the companies that insure schools, minor players like parent groups, um, you know, can get vocal into this. Politicians, kind of a minor group, but your power players in this whole thing of whether school stars are not in fault. That's really your teachers unions and then also your school insurers. That's what it looks like. Um, so let me just take a few quotes here from this Politico article, which I had put up a second ago. The nation's two biggest teachers unions say they would consider strikes or major protests as schools reopen against the advice of medical experts. President Donald Trump, meanwhile, is encouraging governors to seriously consider reopening schools. It doesn't make sense to reopen a school now. <laughs> like everybody's been home. You, you don't want to come back for three weeks and then go on break again. So like that's not going to happen. But the question is, will this happen in fall? And we're going to get into that. Education and civil rights organizations today released a joint statement on promising practices and recommendations for educating and caring for students during the coronavirus, which includes like having PPE for staff, keeping students' desks six feet apart. Things which sound good, things which in practice just aren't going to happen. So we're going to get into that. Um, yeah, if schools, um, this is Randy Weingarten, the the. Uh, president of American Federation of Teachers, she said, if schools are reopened without proper safety measures, quote, you scream bloody murder and you do everything you can to use your public megaphone. So, wow. I mean, that's basically saying um, everybody rally against this. We're going to get the parents. We're going to get the politicians. We're going to force the hand of schools. So the question is like, what's your end game in this, um, Randy? Like, what is, what's your end, end game? Like, I get where you're coming from on this. I can kind of see it. But the fact is, every school building I've probably ever seen is built for capacity, right? It's built for density. It's 400 kids in an elementary school. It's 800 kids in a middle school. It's 1,000 or more kids in a high school. So right off the bat, all of this whole thing of like trying to say we're going to be able to do a social distancing in schools and keep kids apart and all this, this is not going to happen. Your structures aren't there to make this happen. Your buildings aren't there to make this happen. Um, how are you going to bus? I mean, buses, buses, 40 to 50 kids, right? A capacity on a bus. So are you going to say, we're going to take our buses and take every other seat out, even though if one person sneezes, the entire bus would be contaminated. And now we're going to add this filtration system on a bus. We're going to add plexiglass. Believe me, folks, I, I've seen all of these things already develop here in the last week. I've seen all these proposals, kind of like the airlines, we're going to turn the middle seat. So it's facing the other way. Yeah, good luck with that. But, you know, this whole thing with buses, well, maybe we need to take seats out, but you don't realize you don't have enough bus drivers to begin with, right? There, there's people aren't breaking down the door to be a bus driver. You're not going to have them doing it now, and um, and you don't have enough buses to run these multiple routes, right? You can't just take twenty kids on a bus. A bus is a cheap bus, an absolute bottom basement model bus is seventy grand, like the absolute bargain basement bus you can get is seventy thousand dollars, right? Um, that's the one where you have to hold a horn out the window and go honk, honk, like on your own. So, I mean, it, this just doesn't make sense on some scalable levels. So we're going to get into that. So let's get back to the school, um, psychology of school safety. Let me check over here in the chat room first. Um, SAS too many wrote, move schools to online, get rid of 90% of teachers and all for burning it down, removing their power. SAS too many, I think moving online, I think is inevitable. And this is the this is the part where people have got to realize um, this change is happening. It, we're already midstream in it. It's not like it's we're not sitting there on the beach watching the the tsunami 
kind of come toward us. We're already like, you know, soaked. This is already happening. And, and we just have to embrace it and move forward. And that's where people I think are dragging, dragging their feet. The model of virtual ed is already here. You're right. Completely sass to me. Thanks for that. By the way, this is the, the reminder of, uh, hey, if we haven't done uh, a thumbs a thumbs up here um, from the safety doc, please, right here, you know it. You know it. You know it. Is this guy? Is this guy doing the thumbs up? Thumbs up for the show. I appreciate that. And again, I'm staying away from this thing. I'm staying away. It's crazy. It's wild. It's the coronavirus. So far, I've been able to avoid it. Um, Mallard, uh, I am pro cyber school. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm doing more actually with uh, cyber education. I've taught online at the university level for over 15 years, actually I think 17 years. Um, I've, I've, I'm doing much more with that in the upcoming year. Um, a lot of, a ton more virtual, um, instruction with districts. Um, it, it really is. There, there's a, there's a big positive to that. Um, so Bullrush, uh, I work for a hospital doing inpatient uh, clinical coding. Okay, cool. Um, says to many, they literally want their uh, education budget to triple, huge power money grab. Yeah, the deal is though, right? Like um, says to many, like that's just not going to happen. We didn't see it in the initial relief package coming out to the states. We saw some university relief. Um, univer universities, you know, like University of Wisconsin, we're 170 million dollars down in spring, and we're going to be more down. We probably are. I mean, you probably pretty cooked on this, but we didn't see a K-12 package come forward. And why? Because K-12 funding looks like this, folks. Now, again, um, here we go. This is this is how school funding works at a K-12 level. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get down here so I can look up at this thing. All right, I am. I am. All right. This was easier when I was younger. It's not so easy now. Here's how schools are funded. First of all, 10% of the money comes from the feds, 10% from the feds. 50% comes from the states through sales tax and lottery revenues. Now, we know that states have been pummeled with sales tax because people aren't buying, right? People aren't buying stuff. Lottery revenues, yeah, it's down too. 40% is local on average. That's mill rate. So if you have a, um, a mill rate of $10 is your mill rate. That means on a $100,000 property. So like your home and property, if it's $100,000, You'd pay a thousand dollars in taxes. So anyway, this is this is what this looks like. If you you know come back to this, this is basically how school funding works. So feds don't play a large role in school funding, and and they're not going to jump into it now with some relief package. I just don't see it. Like I just I don't see it because they're looking and saying this is really the states. The states are going to take care of funding. States are going to have to come up with some type of bill. There might be some relief from the Fed. It's not going to be this massive plan that all these districts are, are kind of counting on. Some are kind of getting to the point or realizing this isn't going to happen. This thing of mill rate, and I'm going to get rid of the slide here because I can't stay like this too long. I'm old. I'm old. I'm spry, but I'm old. Spry, but I'm old. By the way, subscribe to this channel. But um, here we go. All right, back. God, that was easier when I was younger. Um, yeah, bacon. Wow. What is up? Hey, Red Crusader, a good friend from Ohio, good state of Ohio. Red Crusader, he's a Hoosier, our friends. Um, Borash, uh, you sure that's coronavirus? Looks an awful. <laughs> yeah, herpes. What is it? This is, coronavirus has a lot of commonality with AIDS, right? Yikes. Um, so let me let me go. Um, so we know how schools are funded. So it's this big model of state funding and state and local funding. So I just I just don't see it. 
Um, I would expect 10 to 20% cuts, but let's talk about, so this fall though, if schools are going to open this fall, um, teachers and teachers unions, I mean, they're, they're going to want a lot. Here's, let's get through the psychology of this. One, psychology of school safety. Okay, if it's customer perceived value. If we have the germ zapping robot, this Gronk, right? They call this in Massachusetts, this little robot that goes in rooms and shoots laser beams around and kills all the germs. 100,000 bucks a piece. If we have this, then our school will be safer. I mean, the bacteria will be gone, the germs will be gone, all of this stuff. If we have the antimicrobial laminate films that we can put on, if we have the foggy machines that look like Ghostbusters, da 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 Ghostbusters, da 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 Ghostbusters. So you're basically, imagine, imagine Red Crusader, it's Ohio, and someone's pulling up with something like this, but it is actually not Ecto-1, it is it is like COVID-19-1, and they're using, their proton packs are filled with antivirus spray that they're hosing down the schools. The thing is, you're going to see stuff like that. You already see it now. It's kind of crazy. So customer perceived value, anything that you do that you think will make the school safer, antiviral, you're going to spend money on. We've already seen districts put out hundreds of thousands of dollars in this. Um, districts in California now buying these ultraviolet lights that go in the regular light fixtures, the fluorescent light tubes, um, they, they go in there. So then when the school, the, the buildings um, have the motion detectors right in the room and when there's no motion, they turn on, they start doing these zapping ultraviolet light, you know, coming down on the room, which, which kills apparently viruses. But we all know, right, if, if that happens, how about the stuff that's under the desk or stuff that's not in a line of sight for these things? And the moment somebody walks in after being out on a playground coughing and stuff like that, everything is contaminated again. And then there's this whole factor, social proof, right? When one district does it, another will do it and another will do it because they'll think, well, this district must have done the research on all of these things. So we're going to do the, the same thing. And right now, again, Overton window is open. Like you can pitch this stuff and get people to fund it. You can get legislators to put bills in place. We had 500 school safety bills last year, about 400 a year we average, just school safety. Most of that is active assailant prevention type of stuff. But now think about the bills that are going to get proposed for people, yeah, to put all of this stuff in place in schools, hand washing stations all over the place. Um, different hand sanitizing stations, UV light stations, all of this stuff is going to be put into place, not only there, but on buses and in gyms and, you know, retrofitting all of these things and limiting capacity. Um, I mean, it's just it, it, like in, in bleachers and stuff like that. You're going to have all of this stuff come into play. So, I mean, people like six months ago be like, there's no way we're doing any of that stuff. You know, we're not getting this, this Gronk robot. We're not going to do this stuff. And now it's like, yeah, because it's real. People have been inside. They they know that part of it, right? Even if they don't know someone who's been infected with COVID-19, they know they've been told to stay inside. They know that the stores are closed down, all of this stuff. So it's very real. So if people are saying, if you do this, this will move you back toward normal, quote unquote, your Taurus, we'll see. Um, let's look over in the the chat. Um, Bullrush, uh, I put a couple of ch chickens in my backyard, claim the agriculture discount. It's good. My neighbor's got chickens. Right back me also. Uh, Sass too many. How many chickens make that work? <laughs> yeah. Sass too many UV ray guns. Yeah. You know, I've seen the handheld ones, but I've also seen a, if you just type in like Gronk and do a YouTube search, Massachusetts, the um, author was Demers, D E M E R S. It's an incredible article. Read a few years ago. This is Bull Rush. 
that a major paint producer is working on an antimicrobial, antibacterial interior paint for hospitals. Yeah. And you, and so all of this stuff you're going to see pitched to schools. Um, and Juan wrote in San Francisco, they start putting hand washing stations up. Yeah, I saw I saw that. So so we talked about how schools are funded. We talked about what's happening from psychology. Let's look at the things that schools are going to have to tackle. This is probably K-16, really, but it's at least K-12 if they're going to open in fall. Okay, so right now I'm on the fence. I'm thinking more like 65% schools don't open, 35% they do. And again, I'm a school guy, right? I'm a retired school administrator. I know this stuff. And I've just, there's too much that I'm hearing now when I talk with people all around the, uh, around the country. Like there's just too much that I'm hearing that is slowing this process down. That's making it seem like they're not going to be starting up in fall. So the first thing is this whole request for PPE, right? Protective gear. Teachers saying we need protective gear. We need, uh, you know, mask, um, gowns. I mean, if we're doing different things, um, you know, whether art projects, therapies, whatever it be. Um, of course, cooks, custodians with, with this type of stuff, office staff, uh, visitors coming in. If you're visiting our school, we're going to equip you with this. Um, so PPE is is trying to, you know, so how are you going to fund this? How are you going to keep this in stock? How often do you change out PPE? I mean, these are all questions that need to be answered. But right now, it's April 30th, all right? And if, uh, it's, I mean, you're, you're having to do your school contracts for fall. You're having to encumber money. School budgets run through June 30th. So July 1st is a new fiscal cycle. So you have to come up with that. So it, this is this is wild right now. So people are going to be bidding like crazy school districts on any PPE that they can get because it's not that you're going to have a reliable supply chain in the moment. You're going to have to build up on this stuff so you have enough to start the year within like 30 days of PPE. So I'm just saying this is the psychology behind this. This is the psychology of where the teachers, unions, AFT, NEA, they are asking for these things. I say asking for these things because when you say if we don't get them, we're going to scream bloody murder with megaphones. That's not quite asking, you know, but this this will definitely be one of the, the lines drawn in the sand. If we don't have this stuff, then whatever. Hey, I see we're up to 10 thumbs up. So this is this is what you uh, Jesus. I know. I know you got I, I appreciate that you bear with me because I just do not have the uh, the technical skills. But look at this. Look at this. The thumbs up, guys. Look at this. Look at this. It's, it's good stuff. And and just so you know, I'm also going to hit you here with with the wow. So and and the dynamite since we're at it. All right. Now we're going to get back to real world. Um, yeah, it's pretty sad, right? Like this, this is pretty, pretty sad, but it's good stuff. Um, so anyway, PPE, how, that's going to be a big sticking point for schools are going to say, if we don't have the PPE, we're not going to we're not going to come back and fall. We are not going to do this. We're not going to risk it. And, um, and then it's going to be a big issue. I mean, so if you've issued contracts to teachers, are you going to then pay them? Um, if they're not, I mean, so then they're going to do distance ed, but then you're not going to need as many people. You're not going to need your cooks. You're not going to need your bus drivers, your custodians. So what do you do? So PPE is a big issue all of a sudden on every school board's mind. Second is social distancing, right? Social distancing. Um, think about this again. I mentioned earlier buses. How in the world do you social distance on a bus with elementary, middle, high school? I mean, mostly elementary and middle school. How do you do this? Because they're all touching each other and backpacks and sneezing and stuff like that and colds and whatever. But, you know, buses are 
made to be economy, right? You put 50 kids on a bus. So again, you can remove the seats. I've heard that. Heard it out of schools in Texas. We're going to remove the seats. We're going to take every other seat. Well, it doesn't really do a hell of a lot of good unless you have some massive filtration system on a bus in the cabin air and then somehow plexiglass divider, which you never do, right? Because to retrofit a bus like that, already said a bus, a bare bones bus is like 70 grand. Um, you, you can't spend, you just can't spend $20,000, $25,000 to retrofit every bus. I mean, you're not going to have the time to do it. You're not going to have the budget, budget to do it. So how, how are you going to do this, right? So part of the reality with this whole social distancing is saying, if you're busing kids and especially a rural district, good luck, right? Like you're probably going to be busing half the kids, half the capacity. Um, those buses will just have the seats taken out and kids are going to have to wear a mask and the, the bus driver and all this. How about your bus drivers? Like, I don't know a school that doesn't have a shortage of bus drivers before this. So, you know, this whole thing of, of capacity of bus drivers and, and running these routes is pretty crazy. So let's go, uh, let's go over to the chat room a second here. Um, so Bullrush, uh, you know, if enough Karen's asked to speak to the managers, they're going to give them everything they want. So what Bullrush is saying there is, is spot on. If you get enough customer perceived value, people demanding things. I mean, I've at school safety, I've seen districts that have spent crazy on wild stuff that didn't make them safer at all, but it, it looked safer, right? Bollards in front of schools. I got it in the book. Look, look safer. So you spend money on it. Um, and school boards are going to want to do this because they want the kids to come back. If those kids are at home, that's about $12,000 that district is not getting, right? If the kid is, is homeschooled, um, and parents are saying, we're not, we're not going to you know bring our kid back to the school. So there's a lot of competitiveness. And if you have to compete with district next to you, it's open enrollment. That's how districts work. You can open enroll to other districts. So if a district next to you is touting, oh, we've got this germ zapping robots and the lights to do all of this stuff. And we've hired extra custodians to go around with the Ghostbusters backpacks and all of this stuff and spray down the, you know, the fogging agent to, to kill the, the virus. And people are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Right. They're going to see that and they're going to go with it. So it's going to be these really weird competitive games for who can get the most crazy advertising for customer perceived value. Uh, Chest Rockwell is in the house. Chests, our good friend, Chest, wrote, what about taking Gronk in every class to purify all surfaces with, uh, surfaces with healing light? Yeah, it's crazy, right, Gronk? Uh, you know, the Gronk concept, um, you know, Chest, as you noted, this, and it has to stay in a room for, I, I don't know, a certain number of minutes, like 40 minutes or so with that room closed off because you don't want anybody to catch these, these UV lights or lasers, of course, in the eyes, things like that. But, um, but yeah, it, it's the, so what, so what chess brings up is what's the frequency of this stuff? I mean, so you could say, oh, we're going to do it every night, but you really have to do it more frequently than that. I mean, what about a playground? Your kids go out on the playground and they're on all the equipment. Then the bell rings, the kids go in, the next group of kids come out. Um, wouldn't you have to sanitize in between those two breaks? Wouldn't you have to do that? Wouldn't you have to get your Gronk or UV right light and wipe everything down? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's wild, but yeah. And these Gronks, which, uh, you know, Chest is mentioning, it's interesting. You look up the article on it. It demurs. I'll put it in here. Um, wrote it. It's pretty easy to find if you just type in Gronk plus like, uh, well, Massachusetts, right. It's going to come up, Rob, Gronkowski, but, um, Deemers was, was the author. It's an, it came out a couple of years ago. It's back during the, the whole MRSA thing. 
Um, but now it's like crazy. Like this company is selling these things like hotcakes. Like they're they're just they can't keep them in stock. Um, Bullrush wrote. Um, the state can take some of the money they're going to pay schools and pay parents to stipend. I think I think we're close to that. I've been reading um, Cordy Angelus's work, and I, I I think we're we're not far from seeing something like that um, happen, especially if we go to virtual, more virtual formats. Bacon wrote the public transit are loading people using the rear doors and aren't changing or charging fare. They're also limiting the numbers to an absurd low. Yeah. So this is something Bacon, and this is good um, face validity, what Bacon is saying, because we're going to see this in schools then, right? If people in communities are, you know, mass transit is 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 really thinning down, saying we're only going to let so many people on, especially in the big cities, you're kind of screwed when they told you, come here and we'll do all mass transit. You don't need a car. And suddenly mass transit got cut down. But this is what's going to be happening in schools. Chest, what about taking, um, or what else? We talked about that. Um, Juan. I still take my kids to the park. Kids naturally want to play with other kids, whether they know it or not. It's almost impossible to have kids social distance. It's good part one because right there, the psychology, we bring kids back. We bring elementary kids back and you tell them you got to stay six feet away from your friends at all times. They're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. That's not how they're innately programmed, right? And how are you going to line up your class of 20 kids six feet apart? You know, are you gonna you're gonna have your kids stretched a hundred feet down a hallway and back through another hallway? I mean, these things just conceivably don't make sense in any school that I've ever seen. I mean, these these approaches. Um, if if we're to return kids uh, in fall, but uh, yeah, Xenex uh, Corporation Chester, that's the one that does the the zapping uh, robots. Um, so let's look, Red Crusader, Bacon, Wheeland, Utana, Strong. Uh, Corey's a good follow on Twitter too. Um, Jim Mallory. Yeah, Corey. I like Corey. Uh, we've, we've had a couple, um, communications together. So, um, let's, let's, so PPE, right? So if schools are going to come back in fall, teachers, teachers unions are saying, we got to have all this PPE. Social distancing. How do we do it on buses? How do we do it in classrooms? We have one classroom, right? They're saying, well, we'll keep the kids six feet apart at their desk. One kid has... COVID-19 and he coughs, you're done. The whole room is going to be exposed at that point. So this whole thing, in, in, in a lot of schools don't have very big classrooms, especially the ones in Oklahoma where they added the bulletproof igloos that take up a third of the room anyway. You just don't have this. Playgrounds. I've had districts tell me, Dave, we're considering ripping out our playground because playgrounds are kind of dense, right? The reason they put the equipment close together on playgrounds is for supervision, right? If one person is out there, they can see the kid on the new whirly whirly slide and all of that stuff. And they, again, they, they bunch it together. Look at anything that's been put up in a city park near you in the last 10 years, all of this colorful stuff, it's real dense, right? It's real close together. And that's for supervision also for space, right? Cause you don't have a lot of space. So here's the deal. School administrators are telling me, we're considering ripping our playground apart. We're going to take this piece of equipment, put it over here and this 20 yards from this and this, and if you got the space, but that's a hell of a task. I put playground in as a school administrator. Like I remember pouring the concrete for things called a sway fund, which is this big boat type thing. It's actually a really cool piece of equipment. That's not meant to ever be moved ever. So this whole thing of thinking you're just going to space your playground apart no, like your equipment, that just isn't realistic. That's nobody is going to be able to feasibly uh, do that. And then, of course, uh, so what does this look like? Are you going to eliminate recess? Are you going to tell your kids 
that you know you're you're on this you have to stay over here these three kids these three kids have to stay on this today is your day for the monkey bars today's your day for the swings and what does it look like right but these are where people are the thought pattern right now and the fact that people are thinking we have to rip apart our playgrounds we have to rip them apart and spread everything out to space kids that's insane right because it's just insane it's just insane um so uh student schedules oh my god like, have you ever tried to uh, put together a schedule? <laughs> Schedules are, it's a horrible long process to change a school schedule because so many things are contingent upon a schedule from, you know, busing services to lunch to actual, you know, educational services. It's a thicket. It's a, it's a disaster. Um, but you're going to have to change schedules. Um, also, so what if school schedules, what if you're saying, hey, you know what, with our elementary school, we got, we have 400 kids in this elementary school for social distancing. We're, we've got to get it down to 200. So we're going to have kids come Monday, Wednesday, first and third grade, second and fourth grade, Tuesday, Thursday, and everybody Friday is virtual school. And that's how we're going to do it. So th that's how things are going to start to look. But have you heard this yet? Have you heard this from your local school administrators bringing this up of saying, yeah, we're thinking about changing the schedule here. We're thinking about it. We're thinking about changing the schedule. So it's big stuff. And this, this has to happen. We have a short window for this to happen, right? Um, so school nurses also, just so you guys get an idea, like school nurses, I worked in a district that had 4,000 students. We had two full-time nurses to cover a number of buildings. There aren't a lot of school nurses out there. Some districts that are rural, small districts here, district of 500, you might contract with the county for a nurse for a day or two a week and mostly to manage your type one diabetes kids and train some people at school and administer an EpiPen if needed and stuff like that for allergies. But you know, there are not school nurses in these schools. And the other part is you can say, well, we're going to hire more school nurses. I don't know where you're going to get the money for that, but let's say you're going to hire more school nurses. Um, they're not out there. Like there's a shortage of nurses, right? So you have this other issue of you, you don't have a lot of school nurses out there. You don't have a lot of capacity. Um, so let's look over in the comments over here. Um, Bacon wrote uh, to Bull Rush, not to mention, um, Having biggest free sanitizer in the solar system, but yeah, keep on sheltering in place and staying indoors. Um, so what Bo Bacon is commenting about is obviously the sun, sunlight, right? The the biggest um, sanitizing agent uh, in the atmosphere, and it, it's yeah. The, <laughs> but we're not allowed to to have our exposure to the sun, right? We got to stay indoors. Um, Sass to many wrote, uh, if you separate all the kids, we can rename the schools to to gulags, and there is a capacity. There is a point in this when you know, we've got to look at these systems and say, yeah, if if we have this big reaction to separating out all of these kids and, and forcing everybody to keep their distances, is, I mean, that's a lifelong thing that you're a message you're sending, right? I mean, if I'm a second grader and I am conditioned that I must always stay, you know, six feet away from people or whatever this thing is, or these new, you know, markings that they have, you have to, you stand here and then Johnny and Sarah stand up on the next green X and the next green X. Psychologically, that's going to mess with you. Like that's going to be hard to bounce back if ever. So this is a thing where, yes, this sucks, but we have to make sure the reaction, the response to this isn't equally as sucky and long lasting. Right. Um, and that's where, that's where I see these people right now with this reaction coming in and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. And this, is what we're going to do for social distancing. I'm like, you're going to mess these kids up forever. I mean, this, this is, this is disastrous. I mean, how are they going to do communication skills? 
with with people, interaction with people. What is it? This whole thing. What does it look like? And you know, I I don't know. It's just it's insane. Um, so the role of virtual learning. Uh, Jim kind of posted to this already, but so virtual learning is here. We're dealing with it right now, and I, I shouldn't say dealing with it. It's part of our lives right now. Um, our you know schools closed. Our kids being a virtual receiving virtual education. It's economical. It's I would say it's equitable. Also, people might argue with me on that, but it, um, and I think districts coming into this fall are going to have the philosophy, the the approach saying, you know, it's best to keep one foot in brick and mortar and one foot in virtual because if we have another wave of the pandemic, we have to shut down. Kids are already used to virtual. They've already got their account set up. They're already doing some of their stuff virtual. It makes it a lot easier, right? So I think this role of virtual learning is here to stay, and I think it's going to expand out. So the whole thing is, do we have to get kids back five days a week in fall? Do we really have to do that? <laughs> and some of the people pushing that you have to do that are like the people pushing your big sports. Well, how are we going to do football and baseball and all of our athletics and stuff? A lot of that's probably dead. It's not, you know, in its format of being, um, you know, through these big state interscholastic agencies, that's probably done. This stuff will will resume at some point, but you know, districts also they're just not going to have the you know the pack stands of a thousand people. And part part of that is their insurance carriers will say, you know, we're not going to let you do it. We're not going to take on the liability of having contact tracing coming back to your high school football stands of saying this person had COVID nineteen on October first and they were in the stands and now you know. 10 people around them and then the people that they've interacted with. And I mean, this is litigation, right? This is where this comes through. It's, it's crazy. A lot of schools have policies that if you have a low grade fever, you can go to school. Or if you have a low grade fever, you can stay in school, especially bigger districts because they want the kids to stay in school. Um, so will these policies change? Will districts have to come in and say, listen, we're going to scan every kid, every staff coming into the building, you know, with the, zhoop. Oh no, you're a hundred the degrees today. Um, sorry, you have to go home. And just like, so these are policies that have to be addressed in schools. And so that's another big part that is a reason we might not have people coming back in fall. We might have very restrictive policies that, that, that come into place. Um, so anyway, here's the other part devices, right? Schools are going to be marketed all these crazy safety devices for viruses and how effective they are. Who knows? One is UV lights. We already talked about that. Uh, schools in California tell me this all the time. They're like, Dave, we're getting marketed. These lights that go in our, our regular lights and, you know, they're $800,000 and we're going to buy them and put them in in spring and then they'll zap. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, do they work? The question is, they probably work to some level, but do they work in every corner of the building? Do they, how effective is it the moment, you know, 400 kids rush back into that building and staff? You know, it's all of that type of stuff. You know, like the bollards in front of school, people would say, well, bollards would stop a vehicle if a vehicle was to crash and run, uh, try to crash through front of a door, school, stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, it probably would. Bollards probably would do that, but people don't attack schools that way, right? And we also know that bollards result in cold weather climates. They ice, the areas around them get icy. It's hard to shovel. We know that bollards on trails like biking trails and stuff like that, people end up killing themselves. I wrote about that in my book. Um, in Ohio, people, you know, screening into these things because someone's in front of them, then they go left, boom, you hit these things. Um, so it's not that these things won't work like these UV lights, but we have to be realistic. Like where, I mean, how much coverage of a school will you actually have with these things? And will they be able to get under desk and whatever and these types of things? 
It's just crazy. Um, shots for ballers, new drinking game. All right. Here we go, bacon. Have some good iced tea. Yes. All right. Let's go over to uh, the chat. Juan Cabrera. Ron. Juan wrote, adults here aren't social distancing. Good luck trying that out with children, especially teenagers that are hitting puberty now. Yeah, right? Like, to think this will transfer to a school setting, social distancing, just isn't realistic. And it just isn't the way we teach kids. Like, it's very counterintuitive to expect that from kids, especially when we've been teaching the exact opposite for how many years? Very inclusive practices. This is, this is really strange. Um, and Sass to many wrote, uh, Aaron Clary would say the sports ball must die. Yeah, sports ball. <laughs> and at a school level, this stuff really got, I mean, so built out and so expensive. And, you know, these big state tournaments held at these massive arenas and things like that. I mean, it just, it, a lot of that needed to come down to earth, kind of needed a stock market crash to get it um, back in, in balance. I think it, it got way, it got way too crazy. Um, personally, I don't miss, I don't miss sports. I don't miss sports at all. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I just, I don't, I honestly don't, um, Atham liar, liar, pants on fire. That's beer doc. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Atham. I don't know. Um, one, uh, to bacon. Someone got, uh, Shout outside my house last night, 75 bulls. I'm still waiting on the COVID ops, uh, autopsy report. Wow. Juan, yikes. Somebody got shot outside. And basically Juan is hinting at the fact that, you're not hinting, but but really stating, you know, anything that's comorbid, right? If you, if you have COPD and five other conditions and you get COVID-19 and you die, you're, cause of death will be COVID-19. I mean, it's a comorbid thing. That's, you know, of course, driving a lot of these numbers up. So we talk about all these, these devices being marketed to schools. Schools will buy them because of customer perceived value. Hand sanitizing stations all over schools. Renovate your schools. We'll give you grant funding. Put in hand washing stations, UV light stations for hands, for bodies. I mean, all of this stuff. If you ever seen the movie, The Andromeda Syndrome, which is really pretty cool. It came out maybe in the 60s or 70s. But yeah, these like scientists, they were battling this virus that would break down like a lot of things, including like rubber seals on airplanes and stuff like this. It's just crazy. Again, an old movie. But um, one of the things on Andromeda syndrome is people have to go into an area and then their like layer of skin, their outer layer of skin would be zapped off them. And then they'd be sanitized in order to go into the next location. But we're going to see some crazy stuff. I've heard, um, already seen a lot of pitches for laminates. You know, here's a laminate you can put on a hard surface. It'll last for 30 days. It kills bacteria, viruses. You peel it off and you put another one on. It lasts for another 30 days. And here's the refill and it's $400 a container. And it's got eight foot yeah, by, you know, three foot wide. That type of stuff is coming in right now. Schools are getting pitched at. Disposable door handles. I already talked about this. I didn't even think there was such a thing as a disposable door handle. How the hell do you make a disposable door handle? Well, they do. They 3D print them with some kind of antivirus type of, you know, material. And, and they only, you only need like a pen to open them. And now they're coming up with some contact less uh, door openers, which run into a lot of problems with other issues, right? Like building codes, making sure you don't have um, a student, a fourth grade student with autism, you know, wander away from the school because there hasn't been any 
Um, it's just, you know, easy to get out of a school building, you know, not articulating that a school building should be difficult to get out of, but I'm, I'm just saying, if you're having all of these measures where you don't have any security in schools, it's gonna be very hard to, to keep security in schools. Right. So these, these crazy things, um, and people are, are marketing them. They're saying we can print these. We can, we'll sell you the printer. We'll bring in the devices. We'll fit them to your doors. Here you go. And after 30 days, take this door handle off and here's the new one to put on. So these things are happening. Um, disposable door handles, yeah, contactless doors, um, all that stuff. And here's another part. So rapid closure of a school during a pandemic. So I'm just going to put this up in my overlay. Where is my overlay? Here we go. All right. So hopefully this looks. So these are these are the main things. These are the main things in play right now that would cause K-12 schools not to open in fall. So again, PPE, not having protective, um, you know, basically the stuff for teachers, masks, gowns, whatever they deem, gloves, you know, that you don't have an adequate supply of that. Whatever adequate is deemed to be, um, the PPE isn't there. The other part is that you, social distancing, you know, that you have to guarantee, school, you have to guarantee our kids will always be six feet apart. We're going to put the desks six feet apart, the lunchroom six feet apart. You got to redo your schedules. So at no time does anybody come within six feet of uh, somebody else. You know, they got to keep this distance. Playgrounds got to be retrofitted. The buses, it's crazy. When you start to break it down, we're again, we're at April 30th. This is a hell of a lot of stuff to put together in basically two months because by July 1st, you have your new school contracts, which come out encumbered dollars. You don't have, you're not nearly going to have the same number of dollars out there. We talked about school funding. 90% is state and local. It's just not going to be there. But anyway, we talked about all this stuff coming out. What's going to be required? Um, schedules have to change. I think it's going to be very, uh, very much where teachers will be teaching one or two nights a week. I just don't see the traditional, traditional quote unquote, um, Eight to three. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think there's going to be, because we're going to have to stagger kids for the schedules. We're going to have to move some kids to virtual. So we don't have the density in schools, the number of kids in schools, the actual capacity in schools. So I think teacher contracts are going to come out and say, here's your contract. And part of your schedule has to include one or two nights a week, whether that be from, you know, 530 to 730 or whatever it is. I don't know. And, but then, you know, you're going to have one morning where then you're not going to have uh, under contract time. I don't know, but I believe this will happen. I was on a phone conference today with uh, somebody who works closely with schools, establishing school contracts. And they were saying completely with the many districts that they were working with, they're looking at some of the education services being provided either one or two nights a week. And some of this makes sense at some regard too, because, you know, parents, um, you know, uh, parent schedules and their ability to to be, uh, you know, if, if a parent can be with their kid while some virtual instruction is taking place, understanding what's happening, I think there's value in that. So let me get this slide off. I had enough of that one. So, um, so, oh, damn it. I got to bring that one back. Damn it. This is, I don't know, if you work in Camtasia, like I said, it's, a, it's pretty pedestrian, but it's, it does what I need to do. Schedules, policy. Schools have policies. If you have a, a low-grade fever, you can stay in school, whether, you know, whether that be 99 degrees or you know less or whatever it is. But they have these policies. Like if you have a, a, you know, if you're 100 degrees or more, you have to stay home or you'd be sent home. 
those things are going to change. Like they're going to be calibrated pretty tight. And the thing is like everybody has different temperatures, right? How do you work on that? It's just saying an arbitrary number, you know, because I think my temperature is pretty low. Actually, I think usually when I get tested, you know, the dog is like, your temperature is like 96.1. I'm like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm cold blooded. And whatever the temperature is outside, I'm like a snake that way or a reptile. I don't know. But you're going to have this come into play where it's going to be very hard line in policy of saying, boom, there's scan kids and all of that stuff and staff. Um, so the other part then is devices. This is a billion dollar industry. We know $3 billion a year spent on school safety devices. We're going to have that much or more spent on antivirus stuff. It is going to happen. There's just no doubt about that. Um, it's going to hit. It's absolutely going to hit. So let me pause right here. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please subscribe. Come on, help out the doc here in Southern Wisconsin. You guys don't know how damn long winter is here. Like literally today is what I would say is kind of like the end of winter and it's April 30th. Like it was misty and windy and just like really bad the last few days. So yes, subscribe, share with a friend. Please share with a friend. Um, and just, yeah, um, please do that. Hit me up on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Um, I would appreciate that. A thumbs up for the show. We got 12. I love it. Thank you very much. Share the show afterwards. So so let's go over to the live chat over here. Bacon wrote, uh, speaking of sanitization, wouldn't it make sense for silver as a new physical currency? Oh, wait, never happening since that makes too much sense. Yeah. Yeah. As, a, as an aside, yeah, I mean, this whole thing with currency, how long before we get to a digital currency based on the argument that is just safer to have a digital currency than a paper and coinage currency? It's crazy stuff. Um, Juan wrote, millennials turned out soft. Just imagine a society with this much protection towards the children. It's scary. This could teach children to avert, avoid adversity. Yeah, I think Juan, I mean, we don't, only have the the physical or the physical safety things. Remember, like when I grew up, we didn't have Lysol wipes. Like that wasn't a thing. Like, um, you know, now everything gets wiped down and all this. And there's some arguments saying that kids exposed, especially like farm kids, kids with pets, get exposed to more allergens, more you know, different types of things, and they build up a different immune profile than kids that don't get exposed to these things. But now we're actually doing this type of stuff of protecting this physical environment, hyper-protecting, and then hyper-protecting the social environment. I mean, how do you teach kids? How do you teach kids to exchange greetings with somebody else? Or how do you, how are they supposed to read facial expressions when someone is wearing a mask, like from here? I mean, that's a big part of pragmatics. I have a degree in speech language pathology. I was on the phone today with somebody, speech language pathologist, we're talking about this. And I said, such a big part of speech language pathology, for example, is teaching kids, especially students with autism, perceptual deficits, um, how to appropriately read other people's social cues. Well, a lot of those social cues are going to be very muted in the fall when you have a number of kids wearing masks and teachers wearing masks. I mean, the only thing if you're seeing is the eyeballs on your teacher, unless they're wearing sunglasses or some whatever, you're not going to know. I mean, you're going to have to pick it up from voice inflection. I mean, this is really not the way we're designed as humans. We're just not put together this way. There was a study at McLean University a few years ago, M-C-C-L-E-A-N, McLean University. McLean University did a study, and, and they are basically saying, you know what? A lot of kids today, a lot of kids today 
are misreading social cues. Like they're thinking people are mad at them all the time. So what they did is they did a study. They, they brought in a lot of kids and they would say, hey, um, we're going to show you some pictures. Tell us how you think that person is feeling, whether it's like happy, whether they're sad, angry, whatever you, whatever you think. And so they would show people, they show kids pictures, right? And they'd show it to like eight-year-olds. They'd show it to like 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds. And a lot of times these, these kids are looking at these pictures saying, that person's mad. That person's mad. They're mad at me. They're mad, at, they're mad about something. They're pissed about something. They're pissed. They're angry. They'd be, I don't know, man. So you look at this picture then afterwards, and it's just like someone, it's kind of like this. So it's not really mad. It's like person more indifferent. A person doesn't pay attention, but they're, unless it's overt, unless it's a huge smile, the smile, right? Gap in the teeth. Dentist always wants, he's like, Dave, I can fix that. I'm like, I'm okay with it. Michael Strahan's got it. I'm okay with it. So nothing wrong with it. But anyway, you know, the, unless you have that overt smile, these kids are reading this stuff wrong. They're reading these messages wrong. And this was before any of this mask stuff of what we've got going on now. So this just isn't good. And why, why were they reading? What was McLean University finding? Well, they were finding that kids were spending a lot of time right on, on their phones, on their mobile devices, their, their screen time. So not getting that facial recognition. So we, just, we know that kids, we know that people in their 20s do not read social cues very well. Body positioning, facial cues, facial expressions. We know they don't read it. It's objective. The science tells us that the multiple studies. What we are doing to kids this fall, if we return and we mask up all of our teachers and we do all of this stuff, it's going to be devastating, these effects on kids. This is horrible. This is a big mess. Big mess. Let's look over here in the chat um, to Sass Too Many. Sass Too Many wrote, I envy no parent with school-aged kids. What a messed up situation. Yeah, I'm one of those parents right here. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, it is, it is, it is some crazy stuff right now. We got to watch out for this. All right. We got to do that one more time. All right. I'm doing that for bacon. Um, an atom. Yes. But yeah, it is, it is messed up. I mean, like. For, for our kids, I mean, we've really got to identify um, what is what is normal right now and what is what is not normal. You know, like this is because they see what's happening right now. But this is like how things were. Remember when we did this? Remember when we did the trips like up north and we did it and your friends came over? Remember that? And we'll get back to that. And, and now it's kind of like FaceTiming as a substitute. We can FaceTime with your friend, but you can't go see them. And it's like, holy smokes. Like I, I'm, I'm yeah, trying to replay myself back at age, you know, 12, 13 and stuff. That would have sucked. That would have been horrible. That's, but that's where they're at right now. You know, so you got to keep projecting. You got to set these goals and things like, you know, well, we're going to get back to Disney. We'll go back to Disney. This might be a year. We got to let Disney kind of figure out their, their stuff. And then we'll go back to Disney. But, you know, even the stuff of, yeah, going back to the parks, going back to your basketball court where you like to play, like, yeah, so the police don't pull up and throw the lights on, all that stuff. Over here in the um, chat room, Chest wrote, is this much different from the schoolhouse model of one teacher teaching multiple grades and the kids mostly working from home? independently to complete a curriculum. So Chess, thanks for writing that. My mother-in-law was educated in a one-room schoolhouse. And I think you're right. This can possibly move back to that. In Wisconsin, it was it was through the 30s, 40s, and 50s where the rural schools, they didn't meet every day. They would meet, you know, maybe Monday through Wednesday, Monday through Thursday. And especially in fall, they would cut that back in spring because of harvesting and planting, right? The very agricultural society. And they would then have 
some lessons that were delivered over public radio, Wisconsin public radio. So this is back 30s, 40s, and 50s delivered some of the lessons, and that would be done at home, maybe after the chores were done and things like that. So I think, yeah, the, this very much could be a model where we get rid of grades. Grades really didn't make a hell of a lot of sense anyway. Like, I'm a second grader. I'm a fifth grader. That stuff was outdated. Like, it should go on your, you know, through modules, and we should be able to get kids into their strength areas a lot faster. Like, if I'm good at coding, if I'm good at this, or I'm good... You know, I, 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 and again, the, we, we always like look down on the trades schools, um, you know, as, as far as HVAC plumbing and all of that. And I say that because in transition services and schools, looking at transition plans that counselors have to put together at eighth grade, then also again at 10th grade, they report out to the state, they give a higher priority to students going into college, a premium to that less of a premium, less of a value to kids who say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to enroll in a trade schooler. I'm going to be taking over a part of my family farm, which is all very solid stuff, right? But it was this heavy priority on just continuing from K-12 into K-16 and K-18 and whatever. It was just crazy. Um, Bacon wrote, another term I forgot about, but is in my industry, no contact delivery. Yes, Bacon. Bacon, here's what I need you to do. Before we do the show, I need you to put an entire list together and get it to me, like the entire list. Um, so we can go through these because yeah, Bacon came up with this awesome list of saying, here's new terms that we all have to grapple with here in the last 45 days from PPE to N95 to social distancing, to quarantine, to self-quarantine, to all these things that we never talked about. Just wasn't part of our vocabulary. I really saw that too in the, uh, in the news reporters, right? The local news reporters, when this all starts to hit the fan background, you know, March 10th, and they'd be like, the new PPE, the N95, the core. I mean, they're like, they don't know the terminology. Like this is all, they don't have a reference point. point so they're really stumbling through the broadcast. But yeah, Bacon has a great point because we've just expanded our vernacular, our vocabulary by like 20 terms, right? So everyone has to, to process these old, this whole stuff. So um, Bacon wrote, um, I've been saying it for years now, within two decades, we'll be looked at as superheroes. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, you, you sent that to Juan. I guess, what do you mean by that, Bacon? I don't quite, I don't quite follow that. I don't, I'm not a big fan of this whole superhero stuff going on right now with, you know, we're going to do the parades for the healthcare care workers. And then like next week, we're going to do the parades again and the parades again. I'm fatiguing on that stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm fatiguing on that. I think, I mean, and we recognize I, everybody. I mean, our, our, um, uh, over the road drivers. I, I, I don't know. I, but I'd like, to, I'd like to see if you could post on that. Uh, when we get stuck on tracks, the speeding train bears down in her car dies of COVID-19 Washington post bacon. Yeah. It wasn't that there's, there's a meme out there of some skydiver who's like kind of crashing toward the ground. He's getting close to the ground. He doesn't have parachute Forgot his parachute dies of COVID-19. The cold morbid thing on this is just insane. And that's the part two that is is going to fuel a lot of the stuff that's going on in schools because the numbers will only increase. Because what I mean by comorbidity is if you have multiple conditions, and um, you can you know if you have COPD, if you've been a lifelong smoker, you have type two diabetes, you have this, 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 and this, and you get and you're 84 years old and you get COVID 2019 and you die. 
your di- your diagnosis, your cause of death will be COVID-19. And then the, the hospitals get a, a certain percentage of money if they're treating you under a diagnosis of COVID-19 also. That's not even hidden, right? That's not even like a behind-the-scenes type of thing. It's just that's overt. So there, you can presume somebody is positive for COVID-19. So here we are. We've, we've got 13 people viewing, but we've got 11 likes. So give likes and stay with me here because, again, this isn't easy for, for me, but I'm going to do this. The thumbs up. The thumbs up, and I'm going to do this. Another smiley thumbs up. And then I'm going to chase this thing down. Whoa, 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 stay away, coronavirus. I don't need that right now. Feeling good. I've actually got a little bit of sun out here, right? Thanks for the uh, thank yous. Um, Red Crusader wrote, interesting, if my grandparents were still alive, I would ask them about single school smile. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, my mother-in-law uh, went through that model. I think, I mean, I think it's a good, it was a good model. I mean, we just, we, we got away from it, right? Uh, Chess Rockwell, I sponsored my plumber for the country club we belong to. Let that sink in. Cool. All right. Very cool. Um, Bacon wrote, Juan, same here. Actually, I got banned from a school. Um, one of my martial arts students went to fire minister and corporal punishment. They were pu- uh, push-ups. I can only imagine what it's like now. Yeah. Right. Going through our, our good friend, uh, Red Crusader from Ohio, the good state of Ohio, the Hoosier state. I think his mascot wasn't a uh, cob of corn um, for the school district that uh, where you reside in there, um, Red. But uh, some of my extended family talked about the parade response worker recognition thing, alarming people more than com- comforting. That's a good point, Red. I'm glad you put that. So this whole thing of saying or, or saying we're going to do these parades and not only saying like they do these, we're going to pull out all the fire trucks, ambulances, all these things and be blaring the sirens and lights and going up and downtown and going around our hospital to celebrate our workers. And what Red is saying is, OK, like kind of get that. But the other part is like this kind of freaking some people out. And I can totally see the freak out part of that. Right. I mean, anytime you have I remember I remember when I was a firefighter, there was a sign in the fire station. So. Let's say you're sitting in the fire truck about to pull out. And there was a sign up above. There were three doors that would raise. I remember this, but there was a sign. And it's like, everybody that goes out uh, must come back. And um, that was always like this somber moment of saying like, oh God, like, you know, when we go, you leave this this firehouse. Like, you're not sure everybody's coming back. You don't know what you're going into. Um but this this thing is, you know, when we see fire trucks in our communities, like driving through our streets and stuff and police and sirens and stuff, that's unnerving, right? Because that usually means something's gone wrong, right? Something bad has happened. So, yeah, I think there is this almost this weird psychological twist to this, which is very unsettling. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to I'm going to make a note of that when I play this back. Um, Sass to many. Profit. There you go. Um CT is going to milk the emergency funds for all they're worth. Ah, John Steele is here. Safety Doc Podcast. 78, one of the best ever. John Steele, escaping Seattle. Check it out. John Steele. Um, Smash that like button. Smash it. The hell do you have to lose? Help out the Safety Doc. Sir Brian Bowden here from the great state of New York, from the Bronx. Sir Brian Bowden's going to be back on the show soon. He shared some very alarming information with me about some friends of the family that have been infected by COVID-2019. Wow. There's a report out of France saying that uh, smokers are protected from the virus because they smoke. Yeah, I saw that. Saw that. 
Cameron Sanchez, I'm sure a lot of extracurricular activities for high schools will be limited in the future. Yeah, Cameron, I think I, I think so. And if anything, um, the stands, right, the attendance is going to be wiped out because it's you're going to have to have massive social distancing. Like where I'm at here, a couple blocks away is our high school football field stadium seats like 2,000, 2,200. You're not going to be able to do that in fall. That was always something, you know, I look forward to taking my daughters to a game. You're just not going to be able to do it. They're going to limit that. They're going to block off huge sections. Whether it makes sense or not, the customer perceived value is there saying, if we do this, we're going to be safer. People are going to believe that. The insurance companies are going to say, listen, we're not going to insure your school if you're putting 2,000 people up in the stands. And we know there's contact tracing going on. Someone has COVID-19 that attended that game on yeah October 1st, and now it backtracks. And, and they're saying, oh, like now five other people, they're, they're going to come to the school district and, and you know, put a, some litigation, civil litigation. Will it make sense? I don't know. But I mean, are you going to have to scan people before they come into a game? Are you going to have to have some conditions for them to come into? I don't know. But I think this is going to be big. Um, th this whole thing, too. I remember like coaching basketball, right? I coached basketball for a number of years, like seven years. And. Um, one year I actually drove like the, the van, I drove the team van, <laughs> the private school it was back in Stevens point, Wisconsin. But, um, but you know, you have everybody close together, like they're a bus or van. You're just not going to have that. Um, so let's look over here in the chat again. Um, Red Crusader, um, it was a bunch of cops and ambulance making noise and lights outside the hospital. Some people thought it was someone shooting up the hospital. Yeah. Red, that's a good point. Yeah. So if you're in the hospital, right. You're you're a patient or you're just somebody in the hospital and you hear all of this stuff and you didn't get the, the memo that oh yeah, they're doing a parade today. You're like, what's going on outside? You know, do I have to like quick you know hide behind a door or something like that? I mean, because we are in this whole society, this whole realm of we've considered, you know, active shooters, active assailants, and we hear this, this would be a response. So it's a good point, Red. It's really a good point. I gotta look more into that. There's a lot more to that I think I want to expand on. But thanks for uh, thanks for sharing it. Um so, yeah, um, Chest Rockwell, good night. Great and infuriating show again. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Chest. Take care. Good friend, Chest Rockwell. Says to many, the fear factor is going to reign over any rational. Yeah, so the fear factor, which comes back into this this whole thing here, and I'll get in my wrap-up mode, um, but it goes into this whole psychology of, of school safety or, or safety as we see it. I'm going to look up at it here. All right. Customer perceived value. And basically that says if we do something, there's any chance that'll make us safer, we're going to do it. Okay. So that's like schools putting bollards in front of doors, bulletproof films, um, those types of things. Anything we can do that's going to make us safer. Gronk, germ zapping robot. Social proof is once one place does it, other places fall in line. They do it too because they're like, well, if that place does it, they must have known what they were doing. We have to do it or we feel the pressure we're going to do it. Third is Overton window. That's a policy thing saying, actually, if we propose this right now, are people going to go for it? Are they going to actually agree with us and say, yeah, we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a Gronk laser zapping robot, even though we're going, we have a budget deficit of $540,000 for the upcoming year because of the taxes having, you know, tax revenues gone down. Can we justify this expenditure? People be like, yeah, pay for it. If you got to lay off two teachers to, to do the robot, we're fine with it. That's the Overton window. That shift it, and people be like, "Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do." Like, um, but I mean, this 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 thought of 
yeah, of making districts, districts are going to have to take this big cut, right? Of 10 to 20% right off the bat, that's going to happen. But if they come out and say, we want these things, will you support these things? Even if it's a referendum, if it's a referendum, if you had a referendum question come up this November on a school you know, thing, you're going to you know vote November at the election. And it says, we want to spend $800,000 this year on these various um, sanitization devices and overhauls. You know, we're going to add in more sinks, more antivirus fogging backpacks, the Ghostbuster stuff right here. Ghostbusters. Um, and we want recurring. We want recurring of $400,000 a year because we have to buy the replacement fills for these things and we have to buy the replacement bulbs and all of that stuff. If you put that on a referendum, even if it's a goddamn Great Depression, even if people are showing up wearing potato sacks, all right, if they're showing up wearing potato sacks with holes in their shoes and they've got nothing, they will vote for that. They will vote for that. It's customer perceived value. They'll vote for it. If they're if that's on a referendum, that'll vote. They'll, they'll vote for it. It's just crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. Um, let's look over here in the, the, the chat. Um, so Red Crusader, you may be thinking of the OSU Horseshoe Stadium. Said, yeah, maybe could be, um, John Steele. Do you remember the scene from Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen wore a <laughs> full body count? I do. God, I remember the Naked Gun series and Leslie Nielsen was, uh, was an awesome actor. God, I loved him in Airplane, John. Absolutely. Uh, Red Crusader, there are no reason for our country schools to do any of what you mentioned. It's crazy that the that the county and state requires as minimum to build new schools. Yeah. No, Red, you're right. You're you're right. So this is where we get to the point of separating out of what makes sense to what customer perceived value dictates. And what I'm saying is I'm I'm sharing the narrative which I'm hearing out there from schools all around the country as a retired school administrator, and I know how these things, these, these things work, um, these layers that will all be in place, these conditions, these thresholds for schools to resume in fall, which I don't think will be met. I think schools will be online in fall. I think the universities will start there. I think universities are already tipping that way of saying fall semester be online. When universities say that, it'll be easier for K-12 to say our fall semester is online too. I would guess we're going to have some type of swing back of this virus in fall, whether it be as, as significant or not is what they say, but that will shut everybody down for probably the rest of the year. I would, I'd say there's a high chance schools in person don't resume until the fall of 2021. But yeah, so Red, you're absolutely right. Like what I'm, what I'm saying goes against, I think some of the logical processes of, of, you know, should we actually do all of these things? But I, but I go back again in my school safety background. Should we put window, you know, bullet resistive films on all of our windows and knock down our natural sunlight, which comes in, which is the Hashong Mahone report out of California and Washington State, Oregon, which had natural light and the benefits of natural light. You guys have already mentioned the benefits of natural light in schools. I mean, there were referendums to build schools without windows just in the last few years to make them safer. But then again, we don't have natural light, so we don't have the benefits of, of that on the the body, whether that's vitamin D, uh, blood pressure, all these ancillary things with with, with that. So, um, yeah, Sass Too Many says, I'd vote no and ask for school vouchers so I can go elsewhere. Yeah. 
So one, I, I really appreciate everybody in the chat. You know, you, you're very informed. You're smart people. You're smart folks. You get this. So when I can do a show like this uh, and I, I go through these things, which a lot of people kind of look at with a blank stare of saying, what do you mean? Like we've got to have, or we can't, we can't fund these things or we, you guys get it. You get it. Like you're smart. You're very smart people. So that's why I really appreciate, because I mean, I know a lot of you from other um, shows that you follow the work that you do. You're smart. You know, John Steele, Red Crusader, Sestiman, you guys, chest, you guys got it. You you understand. So I appreciate that because it's part of like a sanity check for me that I'm just not going crazy bonkers here with what I'm seeing. But what happens is people then come to us, come to you, Red Crusader, come to, you know, me, come to you, John. And they're like, you know, when, when they start saying stuff that doesn't make sense, you can calibrate them back to listen. Like we can't have society where everybody has to stay six feet away, like forever. Like this doesn't make sense. This isn't the way we operate as humans. We can't have everybody in mask, you know, the, the whole time. We just, we, we can't have these things. Like it's just not, it's just not the way that we are as humans. Um, I've seen people lose it. I've seen more people lose it. I've seen people, you know, people have contacted me and said, I was, one of my friends in Texas said he, he went to a Sonic um, which was in a gas station and the Sonic was closed, right? Because they're not, they're not serving with the seats. So you have to do like a takeout order. And the Sonic person just lost it of saying, um, yeah, like our whole state, you know, like people are all over, everybody's going to die and no one's taking this serious and all this other stuff. And it's like, holy smokes. Like, and I've seen more of that people just losing it. And part of that to not be um, judgmental on that, but I talked about this, this whole thing of finite capacity, finite voltage. Dr. Apple in World War II said, you know, on the front lines, you can last about 200 days as a soldier infantry before you like either are killed, you're captured, or you just have a mental breakdown. Like one of those three things happens. So I'm like, you know, looking at that through civilian stuff and research. And I'm like, you know, civilians, so we're what, 45, 50 days into this whole safer at home lockdown stuff. A lot of people are starting to crack. A lot of people are cracking on the right hand side here. You guys, you guys aren't cracking, but you're probably knowing people, you know, people who are cracking. You have relatives who are cracking. You have coworkers. You have friends who are cracking right now. Um, Cameron wrote, went to the hardware store the other day, was told to go home because, because the line was too long. That sucks. God, that does. I mean, it's, wow. Um, Ichibis, you have to keep in mind that half of the population on the left side of the IQ bell curve. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, and this is where, you know, we talk about how do these things happen where Schools might be shut down. Well, if you have more than 50% of the people believing, especially when the teachers unions come out and say, we're going to scream bloody murder and do it with megaphones if we have to, that we have to have PPE, that we have to have all these sanitizing devices, that we have to change up schedules and all these things. If half of the parents believe it, not even half, but let's say half the parents believe it, they're telling their school boards that, God sakes, you better not have my kid in school if there's more than 200 kids in that school. The boards are going to tell the principals, change the schedules, and they'll try to figure out the contracts to whatever that looks like. It only takes half the people to, to move these things. And I would say with school boards and stuff, much less than that. They're very reactive, right? School board is your entry level to politics, the entry level. Like a lot of people on school boards, the only experience they have with schools is they went to a school once, right? They, you know, well, you know, K through 12, they, they know school from that experience. So you get voted into this and, you know, they don't want to take the heat of people showing up at school board meetings or 10 people, you know, emailing them a day of how can you do this? Or, you know, the threats of some, if my kid comes out with COVID-19 and 
and dies or a staff member saying, if I get this, like I'm suing you guys. No, they're going to totally default into these things. And right now, looking at this, there's no way in hell you can pull this off by fall. There's no way in hell you can pull any of this off by fall. Um, so I just, I just do not see schools opening in fall. And I think these decisions will be made very fast. I think the universities are already at a tipping point. I look, you know, Harvard um, is one that's very close. If you read, I've read the stuff Harvard's put out. They're very close of just saying we're going to do fall in, in virtual. It's not going to be face-to-face. Um, once you have a couple of universities do that, the K-12s are going to follow in place. And again, it's this liability thing. It's liability. It's their insurance coverage. They're not going, they don't want to be sued. They're not going to do this. And right now, you know, there isn't any federal decree. There isn't any state decree saying you are immune from litigation. Um, you are immune from litigation if, yeah, somebody claims that they were infected in your school or whatever. Or as long as you've done X, Y, Z, you know, you will be immune from, from litigation. None of that exists. So these schools are going to be very iffy, very hesitant to open. Let's go over here. Um, uh, Red Crusader wrote, try security measures by using scan cards and partially barred windows in a town school with a population of 2,500 people. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Sanchez. Uh, okay. Hardware source. I'm catching up here. Um Bacon responded to Cameron. So almost had the same thing happen at Lowe's talking about delay at a hardware store while shopping for an impact wrench. Bacon went to AutoZone instead. No wait time. Also um, shop in the middle of the week. Yeah. Sass too many wrote, I walked through a grocery store. People were literally cowering down and cringing when I walked by. I know I'm ugly, but geez, this is the thing. I've noticed this too. Like people do not want to interact with you. They don't want to make eye contact with you. They, They'll say hi if there's a distance, and that's it. Like they do not want you to come over and talk to them at all. Like they nothing. So these are things which are just going to become very lasting in society if we don't kick the butt of these things pretty pretty fast and say we're just gonna. I mean, we're gonna have millions of antisocial people. We're we're going to have a very disconnected, untrusting, scared, cowering society. And we can't be that way. That that can't perpetuate out that way. Um, so yeah, anyway, let me go through just the, the main points in here and then I'll, I'll hit to a, a wrap up here in about, um, five, 10 minutes, make sure I got everything addressed through the, the chat. Thanks for everybody for, uh, being in the chat, for watching the show. Thanks for the number of likes. Thanks for the support. I am narrowing down to this Thursday as probably a time that I will dedicate every week for the safety doc podcast. Looking into some new software also to have a guest on in the live stream. Um, StreamYard doesn't work for me. It crashes my system. It goes, all right, so it's bad. And uh, once again, for everybody, I'm going to avoid the coronavirus. The thing is wicked. It's nasty. It's crazy. All right, so hitting hitting on the high points uh, again here. So I don't think we're going to have school... K-12 in fall. If I was betting on this, if I'm at the MGM Grand and I'm, I'm having to do the odds on this, I'm betting uh, this is not happening. Okay, I'm 65% right now saying schools will not resume in fall, 35% saying they will. Okay, um, and 
The teachers unions have come out very powerful in this in the last week. The AFT, American Federation of Teachers, NEA, National Education Association, they've come out and, and basically said, unless we have PPE, unless we have social distancing, these other factors in place, we're going to tell our membership to strike, to protest. We're going to r- rally up the parents. We're going to get on the school boards. They're going to be very vocal in the media. This is all going to happen. This is a, also, you know, it's an election year. Not only presidential election, but you know, at state level, different elections, people aren't going to um, want to be dealing with this during an election year. Like they're going to acquiesce to this. They're going to say, "Listen, we're going to give you all of these things, and we'll shut down the fall semester so we can get these things in place. We're going to give all of these districts millions of dollars of grants to hand washing stations, these new UV equipment to wash their hands or bodies, put their hands under black lights to see if there's." Um, I've seen that come out now, this new, like, you know, people are inventing stuff, right? So like you put the kids will put it in their hand under this black light and they'll show if there's bacteria and stuff, and then they can go back and wash. All this stuff is going to be there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like even kids like have to wash their hands a certain number of day uh, times a day that becomes policy, right? I mean, all these things, staff, do you actually have to do this? Maybe it gets timed. I mean, who the hell knows? But this stuff is all, this is crazy. Um, that again, let's look at school funding. Remember, only 10% of school funding comes from the feds. So the it's the state and local. State is about 50%, local is about 40%, local is mill rate. It's, it's what you get taxed. You can't tell me that local isn't going to take a big hit in fall. Mill rates, um, how much you get taxed per thousand at board meetings, people aren't going to come out and say, listen, we can't pay it. Like we've been laid off. We've had our property value decrease. You've got to lower your mill rate. The states haven't been you know, retrieving revenue from sales, sales tax. That's not coming in. So 90% of the whole school funding structure for K-12, that's state and local. That's not Fed. Fed mostly gives money through Title I, Title Grants, Title I, which is like reading, um, special education grants coming out of there, some Title IX funding. But mostly it's it's out of your local and your your state, which have just been pummeled, right? So they've got these major cuts that they have to to make. That's starting to come out. Like some people are starting to tell me, Dave, my district has told me we're going to have twenty percent less funding last, next year. I'm like, yeah, that's complete. That's Hawaii already told that their governor told their districts plan for twenty percent less. Other districts I've worked with, the you know the states are starting to say, yeah, plan for ten to twenty percent reduction, which is which is big. Um, so why schools won't open? Let's let's hit this up one more time before I wrap up. Let's first hit the chat room. Um, Baker wrote, elderly gentleman has grand piano dropped on him from seven-story window, dies of coronavirus, Boston Globe. Damn it, Bacon. Damn it. Bacon, you need to start assembling these headlines, get them out like on a Babylon Bee type site. And all it does is headlines. I'm telling you, that is an idea which is like going to explode. Just do that. Um, I, th- this is good. It's good stuff. Um, Mickey Abyss um, wrote, given how people have been reacting to the whole thing, I'm perfectly happy having my kids home. Yeah. And right now for us, I mean, that's a, that is a locus of control. We have our kids at home. So we, we also know what they're, um, who they're interacting with, who they're, they're, they're not, uh, that there isn't some knee-jerk crazy response that the school is having um, to all of us too. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with how things are at right now. Sass too many. I hope I'm still alive. For that I was right, a wrong episode this fall. Yeah, you and me. You and me, Sast. Um, you know, the thing is, I was on um, Clary's show 
back in March when a lot of this started to hit. And I was, if you go back to that episode, I was calling for this whole thing of, I said, schools will close. Once a, a couple of schools close, they'll all close. So at the time when I did it, I know there were some people in the chat saying, oh my goodness, like Dave's way off, like in his predictions. But a lot of that stuff was really accurate. I would say 90% of what I said would happen just from a K-12 education standpoint was right on. It exactly happened, actually K-16. So I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty close on this, but if I'm off, uh, but you know, I, wow, I would just say I've done this a long time and I'm reading the tea leaves and I'm like, I've, especially I talked to school districts in the last couple of days all over the country and this, this very much these conditions of, we might not open in fall because of X, Y, Z, da, 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 A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'm like, Ooh, I wasn't hearing that like a week or two ago. I was like, hearing, yeah, we're going to start in fall if we are open. Cause now their insurance companies are getting on them. They're, they're teachers unions, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of pressure and people, and they kind of know this, like we could do this virtual thing for another semester if we have to. Um, and I actually think it'll be, end up being longer than that. I don't think schools will ever return to what they, they were. I don't think that's a bad thing. These school districts that were passing these multi-million dollar referendums, which I mean, when I say multi-million, like a hundred million dollar referendums, we got to build a new, you know, middle school and we're going to spend a hundred million and we're going to have all this capacity. So you don't need that. Like, that's not the way it was um, before all this hit. Like, we should have been doing more virtual learning and all this. You don't need to build these massive things in these artificial turf fields. God, that just drove me bananas. Absolutely, you guys know it. You just drove me bananas, the spending that was going on there. Um, so, Mickey Biss, um, I've been using this as a lesson to uh, to them on how people react to being scared. Good. That's good stuff. I mean, Mickey Biss, people, especially kids, I mean, they should read what's happening in their environment. Like, I teach my kids how to do that um and some of it can be weird and unsettling like when i'm at my, the basketball court with my youngest daughter and, and the locals pull up with the law enforcement and throw the lights on you got a social distance there on the court you know it's only the two of us and we're 10 feet apart and what but you know it can be unsettling so it's this whole thing of yeah it's a sense of it's how things work you know people have rules that they feel that they have to interpret and follow but you have to use discretion and yeah, I'm able to kind of get that message across with my kids. Um, yeah, it must be pretty wild to be like, yeah, my one of my daughters like thinking of the discussions that we have. Simulated annealing, face validity, face validity, dad. They know what it is. So they could tell you. They could do a master class in face validity. Red Crusader, people need to learn how to personally teach their kids. Good time to do it. Yeah. So, and that's, that's something too. Like, I mean, you know, I'm a university professor and uh, I, you know, I know how to instruct you know, but especially with my kids, it's been a time to reconnect with, with my kids and instructing and not only instructing academics, but instructing how to read your environment, situational awareness, what's happening around you, what is face validity. And one thing my youngest daughter was doing is replicating a lot of the, the social media, the, the TV stuff on our driveway. Like, you know, we're all in this together. Like she's writing these slogans and all of these drawings and I drive like, yeah, the deal is like, you know, this is all advertising, right? It's like high V with their big commercials and everything is kind of gone to the point now they're trying to get this message across and, you know, trying to educate her on this. So don't, I know you're young, but you know, yeah, this, this whole thing, we're all in this together. That's not really the case. Like Lady Gaga, you know, in her mansion and Ellen in her mansion, all of this, we're not in this all together at some equitable level or even us compared to people who are right now putting in 18 hours a day driving 
you know, over the, over the road to deliver our stuff to, you know, grocery stores and stuff like that. You know, we just have to recognize this. Let's be honest with it. Um, you know, we have to appreciate, you know, everybody for what they do, but we're not going to do this. I guess this, this false hero ship, which I've, I've seen, and I've really had a problem with, um, you know, lately, you know, I, the misplaced, you know, who's essential, who's not. I mean, that's the whole thing we're going to have to deal with, right? That's just a terminology we're going to have to deal with, with kids. Um, and you know, my, my parents, my, my dad was determined to be non-essential, you know, or my mom was determined to be essential. What is essential? Everybody is non-essential. Well, if you, you want to be essential, right? <laughs> I mean, it, there's more clout. It's a blue check to be essential than to be non-essential. So, I mean, we've got all this horseshit to, to wade through. So I don't know whether I'm essential and I don't, I kind of got out of the whole mix before then. I would say I'm still essential, but since we said essential bacon, The coffee's good. Shout out to her good friend DT at theblackbrigade.org. Um, let's look over here in the comments. Um, so Mickey Biss, um, yeah, already hit that one. So Red Crusader, state is the ball buster for school funding. Yeah. Yep. So again, state plays the big role in the state. Uh, revenues have tanked. They've actually, I mean, they've gone south. So everybody's going to be reaching out to the, to the state, you know, farmers, agriculture, industrial, everything for the state to give funding. So states are going to be the one. Their states are going to be very hesitant. I, I doubt they're going to have some type of relief plan without backing from the Fed. I don't see it coming from the Fed, by the way. I don't see Munchen doing this, but um, I don't see the states coming out and saying, we're going to do a $8 billion relief bill in Wisconsin for K-12 education or K-6. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, where are you going to do this outside of raising taxes? You can only put it down the line so far. You can amortize it so far down the line, mortgage it so far down the line. I just don't see it. You're going to have to hit in with austerity. I mean, some states, though, I don't know. California, I could see it. I could see some of these things hit. I saw Memphis. The city of Memphis in Tennessee, right? Memphis was proposing a 30% increase in sales, no, in, in taxing, property taxes to cover uh, city services. What the hell? You got to be kidding me. A 30% hike in one year because of this? You got to do austerity measures. There's no way in hell that works under any model, right? Just insane. Jesus. Um. Cameron, you subscribe to Red's channel. You're a good man. Hopefully you're subscribed to this channel. If you haven't, please subscribe now to the Safety Doc Podcast. Also, please give a thumbs up to the show. I appreciate that. Share the show with your friends. Let people know, hey, this guy, Dave, the Safety Doc in Wisconsin, he's a good guy. He's the author of the book, School of Errors. It keeps moving around here. Um, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. It is in hard copy for 30 bucks on Amazon get it cheaper through Kindle, get it through your libraries too. So uh, looking here and closing through the chat room, Bacon, John Steele, we shall be spared. Um, yeah. Uh, bacon to Mickey Biss. Uh, they did have months in advance to prepare for this after all. Sass too many. Those state pensions aren't going to fund themselves. Yeah. So it's another part. You know, Wisconsin, I think we have $80 billion in the state pension, which is one of the better managed ones in the country. But the fact is, 
you're just not going to have the dollars coming into those pensions. You're just not going to have the number of employees. There's already been a, um, a attrition movement neighboring district to us, Madison Metropolitan District, one of the biggest in our state, 50 positions. That's just the start, folks, not being filled. So these whole state pensions in a lot of states are going to not be solvent in fall. I think you're going to see also this whole movement in teachers of becoming 1099 employees. I think we're close to that, contract employees. Um, and, and saying, yeah, set your, set your hours up within certain parameters, but I, I've seen that already somewhat. I think this is going to open up the door for more 1099 and people might say, we'll pay you more, but we're not going to pay them into the state pension and you're going to have to, you know, get your healthcare some other way. It just, there's some things that are going to change out of this. Um, so Connecticut's, uh, says to many Connecticut's pensions are grossly underfunded. looks, looks bad, Batman, Batman looks bad. Looks bad. Okay, so this this is this is my uh, graphic for the uh, Connecticut's uh, state pensions. Bamo, and then also the remember Batman they used to do that. So no, this is it for Batman. Bam. All right, it's good stuff. All right. Um, so as we we wrap up here. Thank you so much for spending part of your Thursday night with me. I do appreciate it. I am looking at getting it. Um, oh, my God. So breaking. Let me get this from John Steele. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer extends the state's emergency declaration through May 28th, despite the state's legislative rejecting legislature rejecting the extension. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I was watching that today because people were like, what, storming the... Uh, the Capitol in Michigan's, you know, saying don't extend this. And the fact that, you know, senators or representatives are showing up in bulletproof, they had to anticipate this, right? And the, the, what the legislators said, legislators said, don't extend this. And so she's overriding and saying, yeah. So we have May 25th here in Wisconsin. And I would say that's not going to change um, in Wisconsin. I don't, I don't see the, the political movement that would change that. But wow. This is going to get intense. Cameron, thank you so much for the kind words. Enjoyed the podcast as always. I appreciate that. Whoa, ah, Mallory report. Yeah. Michigan, um, in, you know, considering what happened there today, boy, I think this is going to get really tense in Michigan um, in the next 24 hours. I I think we're, I mean, we're going to see some boiling points, right? We're, we're, you know, we've seen beaches closed down in California for basically an unlimited amount of time as of today. Um Wow, we're we're really hitting hitting some boiling points. Yeah, Michigan. Um, I I don't think we're far off in Wisconsin. I think the two states are following pretty strong suit. Bacon wrote to John Steele, "How long for the next extension? We'll be up there." I'm saying August after Cinco de Drinco. Yeah, Cinco de Drinco, Bacon. I I I have a feeling a lot of the stuff is going to extend right through summer. I looked at the stuff coming out of California, and I looked through some documents that were shared with me, kind of on the down low. Um, and I think a lot of the social, uh, the safer at home type stuff, stay at home stuff, closing the parks, closing all of that is really in play in a lot of those States through September. Um, and it just won't formally be set because it's easier, right? It's a hell of a lot easier to say, we're going to issue this for another 28 days. And then when you get to the 27th days, issue it for another 28 days versus saying, we're going to issue this for three months. It's just easier to give people a little bit of at a time. It's this whole thing calling, there's a theory called the language theory, right? It's this, it's, they studied it in wartime too. Like 
people, civilians, could take 90 days of kind of bad news. Like we're getting our ass kicked on. Or we're getting our asses handed to us on the front. Our, our guys on the front line or people on the front line getting our asses handed to them. You can take 90 days of that before you're like, let's get out of this war. Let's just give it up. Let's, this is not worth it. So what you have to do every 90 days is you just have to change it. You have to say, well, now we're in phase four. We're done with phase three, which we got our ass kicked. We recognize that phase four is a lot better. Phase four is good stuff. Here's why. Even though it's really not different, right? It's not anything different than a day on a calendar. Just move the calendar one day forward. But it's this whole psychology. And they've got it down now. Like all those states, they know this. And the, the terminology, like in Wisconsin, the badger bounce back. The badger bounce back. What the hell is that? Again, that's something you came up with with marketers. And again, it gets so vague in how you reopen things. We're going to have 14 days where we're going to have a decline in whatever. But again, like I went outside again today and there's my whole car is covered in pollen in my garage. So like all these people having allergies and upper respiratory thing because of pollen. I mean, how do you distinguish that from COVID-19? It's just, it's crazy, right? You're just not going to be able to, to, to do this. So let's wrap up here in the chat room. Um, Red Crusader, laugh out loud. Watch all the Wolverines migrate to Ohio. Wolverines! Wolverines! Get your spray cans out. Wolverines! Right. Wolverines from Michigan, but the movie Red Dawn, Wolverines. That was my shout out right there. But yeah, this is American's Bolshevik res res uh, revolution disguised as a pandemic. Yeah, it's Mickey Miss wrote. It, now the, the point is, you know, people are really being pushed on this. People are really being pushed. Um, you're going to see some really overt responses to this. Bacon, to make you this, are you saying there's no more permanent thing than a temporary government program? Color me shocked. John Steele, short hotel tourism stocks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, can you imagine what Vegas is going to be like, John? I mean, can you imagine um, how Vegas survives under this model? I mean, I I don't. I I I don't. You, you shut down Vegas for three months, four years. If the NFL, you know, so that shuts down. So Vegas doesn't have the NFL in fall. Uh, all the conventions that Vegas host, if all of that is done, which I think it is. I mean, I, I, I think we are within a day or two of seeing the NBA canceled. I mean, which has probably already been decided. MLB will be canceled. Um, this stuff is just, it's just a big damn mess. Red Crusader, oh, I see. Do we have a maze and... Blue fan in the chat. Bacon. Oh my goodness. Government trust level zero. SAS to many. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 that's where we have that face validity. Talked about it um, in previous shows. It's when you actually observe things. So there's a big difference as we, as we wrap up here. You tell people, I observed this. That's a lot different than telling people, I think this. I think the community is rebounding. I think things are getting back to normal. I think this is happening. I think things are more restrictive. Don't say I think all of you on the right, Bacon, John, Mickey, all you guys, you know, you're not not to, to lecture on this. No, but but see, this is watch the vernacular, watch what you say because you're going to model this for other people. It's not I think because everybody says I think. I think. No, it's what you observe. I observe this. I observe that today, you know, they're they're making people wear, you know, face masks at the, the Walmart. I observe that there's, there's our, we're reopening our dental, you know, offices. That's in my town. I observe that today. I observe whatever. And then you say, because of that, um, here's my deductions. Here's what I think based upon what I observed. And the, but people just say, I think, and usually what, when they say, I think 
I think this. Well, where'd you find, why do you think that way? Well, that's because Channel 4 told me that. Channel 4, Johnny on Channel 4, Johnny on Channel 4 told me tonight that this is happening because of whatever. See, that's the part. Like, you have to say, I observed and teach people that around you. I teach my kids that, right? I teach them. When you, when you, you know, whatever situations you say, I observed, use your senses, your, your, you know, how you gather information, kind of like I'm a researcher, like I cite everything that I do. I cite it like crazy, like in my book, just pages of citations. But it's a hell of a lot different when you use that language. And people recognize and they respect you for it. They expect people to just say, I think. But when you start saying words like I observe this, and then you go on and then you know, you're anchoring to concrete things and then you can give an opinion based upon what you observe. That's a lot different than just saying, I think. So be the person that says, I observed and work from there. John Steele, love the show. Please make it a weekly gig. Have a great night, everyone. Peace. All right. I'm looking at Thursday nights. Everyone, I'm out of here. The safety doc is, is on the down low, on the D low, on the E low. I'm out of here. Thank you so much for spending your Thursday with me, if you haven't given the thumbs up, pound that thumbs up right now. Follow the show. Take care, everybody. This is Safety Doc. Ouch. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.